Okay, well, hey, we have Neat Essentials USA with us. Uh, look at the, look at all these. A surplus of neoprene with thermal lining to keep you warm. You've been complaining about the water temps here in California. You're not the only one. The waves haven't been good, so that makes it extra difficult to find motivation. But if you have four millimeters, if you have the balaclava, it's like the vest with the actual hood on top of it, you're completely prepared for whatever. I see the balaclava on their website right now for the less than 50 bucks, 46 bucks. So neatessentialsusa.com will keep you warm. Yeah, look, this is definitely the season. Springtime, especially, uh, you know, sort of like north of Halama is always really cold. There's tons of upwelling. There's tons of north wind. And uh, the guys that live up there know that springtime is pretty much the worst time. There's no, there's no north swell and the water's freezing. Yeah. And uh, so Neat Essentials is ideal, especially that balaclava, as you mentioned. And of course, booties and anything 5'4", four, 4'3", four, as far as thickness is crucial. But that water temp has found its way down south. Like yep. it feels like this might be the new normal for us. Mm. We might be. We might be, you know, co-opting the central coast as far as weather for, from now on. I hope not, but you never know. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. If that is the case and it keeps newbies out of the water or let's say fair weather surfers out of the water, would you take that, <laughs> that would bet? Be me. That would be me. No, because the waves Perfect. suck. The waves <laughs> well, absolutely true. suck. That's true, but they don't thing, have to. If it, was, if it was like this, like you go to Santa Cruz and it's like the, the north wind gets protects a lot of those spots and the air temperature's 68 70 degrees i don't mind 54 degree water when it's 4 to 6 feet but yeah. when it's 2 to 3 feet and just shit house 8 second wind swell and the water's 54 i'm out it yeah. sucks um well yeah that balaclava what i love about the balaclava by the way is you know, you can go out and buy a wetsuit with a hood on it, but that's a separate investment. The balaclava operates very similarly because it's not attached, but it's also not, doesn't have that gap where your neck is exposed. It's a vest. So you pull it over almost like a rash guard, but it has the neoprene hood on it. So you don't get flushed like you would if you just had the separated hood. So that's a perfect little add-on solution for less than 50 bucks on neatessentialsusa.com. So go check them out. They have outerwear too, if you're going to the mountains, obviously um, leashes, traction, bags, all that sort of stuff. And then, of course, we mentioned uh, Real Water Sports last week, just got a batch of Channel Island surfboards in. Um, I've got a G skate coming a channel islands G skate. I had a chat with really? Dane Gadowskis for the podcast. Yeah. You were the one who actually told me about that board originally, but, um, Dane sold me on it essentially. Really? Yeah. Wow. Good for you. Thanks. Um, to me, it, it feels kind of like, um, it feels kind of like a round nose fish, but with the channel island spin on it. You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of got the same tail, but the nose is a little different. I agree. Yeah, the, it's got the wider full volume up the front and then really narrow in the back, you know? Yeah. And so, whereas a fish would be still wider in the back and harder to kind of get vert, this has is much more narrow in the back and also not as much volume up front as a fish. Um, but the two plus ones set up like two larger side fins and then one small little trailer fin. And... uh and they shred those things. They get those things vert. I've seen guys doing airs on them and stuff. So I, the reality is I don't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
<laughs> like I'm going to be doing. I, the reality is I don't have anything in my quiver that's exactly like that. So it's like there's not a lot of gaps in the quiver. That's one little gap that I can fill. Oh, my God. So, my, <laughs> hey, this is the nothing. path you we were just... on for the last 20 years. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. You're following my footsteps. Real water sports. Yeah. Um, no brainer. Go there, get your G skate, get your uh, round nose fish, get whatever you need for getting in the water, which is crucial right now. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail, a clean entry. This thing holding open, it spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit, gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Uh, David, yeah, guy. It is Wednesday, April 12th. It's the Wednesday after Easter, and it's the year 2023. Good morning, David Lee Scales. Good morning. Good morning, Scott Bass. The Bells contest just ended. I'm sure you're deep in prepping the boardroom show. The waves have not been good. The water's been cold. What are you up to? Yeah, you know, thanks for mentioning that. Let me give you a quick update. We've got um, one of the coolest things that's happening is, you know, each and every year we do Best in Show where we invite you, the board builders of the world. And I mean, anyone can enter this thing. You do not have to be an exhibitor to enter Best in Show. And of course, we give cash prizes that are well worth the effort of building a beautiful surfboard. And um, this year's category, for best in show is the bonzer. Mm. So I've spoken with um, Malcolm Campbell and Duncan Campbell, the two brothers from the Oxnard area that um, designed the, the bonzer back in 1970 ish, 69, 70. And uh, forgive me if I got the history a little wrong there, but um, we're excited about having a, a, a category for the bonzer, you know, and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty open-ended too. Like they want to see, um, you know, um, function and creativity. And, um, uh, obviously the board has to perform. It can't, you know, but, but the bonds are, so I'll just leave it at that. I'll get more into the, the actual parameters. But I think my point is, is that they don't want to put a lot of parameters on it. You know, they're just like make a bonds or bottom, and have fun with it. And, um, so that's, that's the newest news is that the bonzer is going to be the best in show category this year. In the past, we've done longboards and guns and fishes and stuff. So this year, and it makes sense because we're also honoring Bing Copeland in the icons of foam shape off. And, uh, this 19 or 2023 marks the 50 year anniversary uh, anniversary of when the Campbell brothers got together with Bing Copeland and um, Bing started to make the Bonzer. That was 1973, 50 years ago. Wow. I had no, I didn't realize it's been that long. That's insane. Um, yeah. Fortuitous though. Amazing. Um, yeah. Pretty excited about that. I was just saying the G-Skate fills a gap in my quiver. Very few gaps in my quiver. I don't have a Bonzer in my quiver either. <laughs> Maybe I need oh, to you add got a Bonzer. It. Yeah. You need to add a Bonzer for sure. And, um, 
I've ridden them. I have one and I've ridden them and I've taken one that the mental wise, I mean, and I've had guys say, in fact, JP St. Pierre has saw me surfing Swamis a number of years ago. This is probably, I don't know, eight years ago or something. And he was like, that's the best surfing I've ever seen you do. When I was on my bonzer that was just a five. It was one of those five fin bonzers that, and Malcolm shaped it for me and it was so oh, wow. fast and so easy to ride. And, um, and I remember being pretty stoked to have JP tell me that. So what are the virtues specific to the bonzer? I think drive is one of them, right? You get tons of drive cause you got a lot of fin area in the water. And a surfer like me, I've got these little chicken legs. I need as much drive out of the board as possible. You know, like I'm not Mark Acalupo. I don't have, I'm not Tom Carroll. I don't have like fire plug thighs, you know, I've got more, like I say, you know, like, you know, like if you were to order, um, chicken wings, that would be kind of what my legs are like. <laughs> so anyway, a lot of drive and a lot of positivity. And, um, I was, I was with, um, well, I, I don't, it sounds like I'm name dropping. I've seen Taylor Knox absolutely rip on his bonzers as well. And of course, Russ Short, legendary shaper from a surfer from the Oxnard area um, and a bonzer aficionado. So, um, so bonzers, you're talking about drive, you're talking about drive, but what about, uh, does that sacrifice then any maneuverability? No, 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 no. The boards are super fluid. Okay. You know, um, I'm, I'm, I kind of, I start, I learned to surf on a single fin. So mm -hmm. I'm drawn towards, um, sort of that design, which is like mid length, the, the midpoints up a little bit, a couple inches, maybe an inch and a half forward of center. Um, so I love that whole vibe and it just fits me like a glove, you know? Mm. I think it suits my surfing, my modern style of surfing now too. Um, like if I were going to get a bonzer, the one that I would get would, or the ideal would be a Campbell brothers, Russ short. Like that would be yeah. the one that I would start with, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, well, cool. And you know, I got a question that I thought of when you were talking about the best in show, are any of those best in show boards available for purchase? I mean, they might be from the, from the owners, you know, the guys who made the board, we don't own the boards obviously. So that's a question for the guys who build the boards. Yeah. Um, and man, we've seen some incredible ones through the years. Totally. In fact, Ryan Sakel won a couple of years ago with one of those duo fin single fins with the two single fins. Yeah. Um, and there were some gorgeous boards. Stu Kenson won last year for big wave gun. And, um, God, there was a gorgeous Hobie last year that, I remember that, that. um, Michael Arnold. No, um, Adam Davenport made oh, it. Oh, right, right, right. It was a classic old school, like Dick Brewer Hobie design from like 1964. Um, and it was just gorgeous. And I think it got like, I, I don't know. I can't speak for, uh what place it got, I, I sort of forgot, but I mean, I'm sure those boards are for sales to answer your question. Yes. The answer is yes. Well, and they'd and be good boards to buy. Yeah. I mean, totally. Cause they're one of a kind, you know? Um, yeah. but you, you and I were talking off air a few weeks back and talking about that. We don't really mention enough about purchasing boards at the boardroom show, but 
you know, uh, the exhibitors build all, an entire quiver often for the boardroom show. Like these are show quality boards basically, but they are for sale as well. And we don't talk about that. And certainly there are surfboard sales that take place without us even promoting it. But part of them being beautiful display boards means you don't really want to put a price tag on like a physical price tag sticker on the beautiful display board. So I think a lot of attendees go there without that awareness, but it is worth noting that these are kind of the highest quality versions of surfboards that a lot of these exhibitors are making uh, throughout the year, all available in one spot. And so go in there with that in mind, you know, if you are in need of a surfboard in around uh, fall, basically around October of this year. Don't make the purchase the weekend before. Don't make the purchase the weekend after. Consider making that purchase at the boardroom show because honestly, that will be where you will see the best quality version of whatever it is that you're looking for because everybody's there, you know, from the big kind of pointy thruster international manufacturers to the small artisan high, you know, uh, dollar value manufacturers and everybody in between, so... Yeah, you make a great point. You know, um, the boardroom show is the largest surfboard marketplace in the world. And we're going to go out of our way to make sure that you get a great deal on a surfboard this year at the boardroom show. And um, and I'm doing my best to um, help the exhibitors as they uh, market their wares there. And it's going to be a great show for buying surfboards this year. And, and as you mentioned, look, I can go into Surfride, I can go into Hanson's, I can go into Mitch's, I can go into Jack's, I can go into HSS, I can go into these stores and um, and there's some beautiful surfboards for sale. But what the boardroom offers is all of those boards and all of these other artisan guys that you're not going to see in these surf shops. That just mm-hmm. that there's no space on the showroom floor for, and these are the guys that are making some insane stuff. Um, guys that come to mind, um, Donald Brink, you know, guys like that, like really great shapers. Um, so anyway, the boardroom show, uh, you you do bring up a great point, a great place to get a good deal, a better deal than you would get, uh, at a surf shop and an array of surfboards that are just next level, um, so we're pretty excited about it, the boardroom show, the largest surfboard marketplace in the world. Yeah. What I would suggest doing is obviously a lot of our listeners already follow surfboard shapers on Instagram, but a lot of the shapers who are exhibiting in the boardroom show every year, they're kind of documenting those builds in advance and posting them on Instagram. Um, and so that's kind of a sneak peek of what is available for purchase essentially. And so you can kind of track what's going to be at the boardroom show there. And you know, if you're going to end up attending midday on a Sunday, the board might've sold already on Saturday. So by getting that sneak peek, you might be able to lock down whatever it is that you want before uh, somebody else purchases it essentially. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good point. The boardroom show October 7th and 8th this year at the Del Mar Fairgrounds honoring Bing Copeland. Yeah. You and I will both be there. Yes, sir. Kissing hands, shaking babies. Yes. Sir. Um, so did you watch the bells event? You know, I didn't watch much of it. I got to tell you, I didn't. I, I tuned in every now and again, and and the winds were horrible, or the waves were tiny, and frankly, Mother Nature did not cooperate. Um, it was not a good 10 days to, to have a waiting period. What is going on? 
I don't what is know. going on with the real sur- with the World Surf League? I, I mean, I don't think you can blame the, the WSL for this one. I just no? think they just, I mean, Sorry. well, I mean, even if we had trimmed the field down to 16, to say, let's say 24 surfers or 20 surfers or whatever, top 16, um, the waiting period just, it was just shitty down there, you know, like yeah, when there was swell, it was blown out. When there was no swell, or, you know, when there was no wind, it was small. It just wasn't a really great you know, like I say, mother nature didn't cooperate. And I think at some, on some of these events, we can't put all the blame on the WSL. Uh, it was just, just shitty. Yeah. I agree with you. There seems to be no, um, desire to kind of get out of this, uh, situation that we're finding ourselves in though. I mean, this feels, you're right. This is the one that maybe you can't blame, but it, I guess it's because there wasn't one good day of competition. The last three events had one window, you know, or one uh, day or half a day where the swell did kind of align with the waiting period. Um, but this one was just all meager. And uh, it was the worst. I mean, at this point, four events in, I feel like this is the worst year of professional CT level surfing that I've seen uh, or that I can at least remember, certainly since we've been recording this podcast for the last 10 years. Um, and it's, it's pretty bad because yeah, like you, I didn't really watch the event either. I actually tuned in a couple of times, made it halfway through a heat, shut it off, come back, you know, a couple hours later to watch a heat that I thought would might be interesting. And it was still not engaging. The commentary felt so disconnected because the commentary, it is their job to hype it and to be excited, but it was just so disconnected. And when I tune in four hours later and they're still, you know, hyperbolically um, lauding the surfing and all that sort of stuff, I'm just like, you guys got to be kidding me right now. Like, well, my hat's actually off to the broadcast teams because you're right. They, they have a job to do. Um, they're charged with making the event feel and seem um, perhaps more special than it is at this time. And a lot of what you heard was how how special the Bells trophy is and mm. how much history there is at Bells and how it means so much to these surfers to ring the bell. So you got a lot of that kind of over and over again. And there's some truth to that when, when, I mean, we do have incredible history at Bells, right? We all want that, you know, 1981 when it was 15 to 20 feet, you know, on the opening day of the event. Uh, anyway, yeah. it, it's a bit, it's a bit sad. Um, but I, and I, they were also going up against the Masters Golf Tournament, which I know is not a big deal for many, but for me, it's a big deal as a golf fan. And, you know, when you're tuning in and you're just seeing kind of just crap, it's easy to just tune out and watch the golf. Well, Kanoa, Um, apparently there was a UFC fight going on, too, at one of the days because Kanoa, in his post-eat interview, said, I'd rather be watching the UFC fight right now. Oh, my God. You're kidding. No. That's not a good look. I didn't catch that. (laughs) Yeah. And so. But I did. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you're talking about legacy. It's important to note this was the 60th iteration of the event. It's run consistently, except for the one year of COVID, for 60 years, uh, which is pretty incredible. Uh, This was an all-Aussie final, which hasn't happened in, I don't know, I think it's been 10 years, maybe 12 years. And then really interestingly, 
the male winner, Ethan Ewing, won 40 years after his mother won the women's division. So his mother, Helen Lambert, won this event 40 years ago at the 20th iteration of the event. Wow. I had no idea about that. That's fascinating. Isn't that crazy? It's the only mother, it's the only mother son combo that's ever completed such a task. That's, that's cool. I'm stoked to hear that. And I did watch some of Ethan Ewing's heats. Um, and specifically the semifinal heat against Philippe Toledo, which I found kind of interesting. There's, I think this is something you've been saying for quite a while. Um, and one could argue that that Philippe's air game is getting underscored. I mean, Philippe is the victim of his own mastery and brilliance, I think, on small waves. Again, this is something you've been harping on for a while, that um, he has to go beyond incredible to catch the attention of the judges. Now, I will say that Ethan's surfing in that heat was was his rail game was sparkier, you know. Um, he was surfing a little faster and completing big round, full rail turns and and when he did release the fins, uh, sort of on those whitewash hucks, he came around real snappy and quick. And but I just felt like um, it could be argued that Philippe's air game is just we expect that of him. The judges expect that of him. And unless he does something better, it's just standard surfing from Philippe, which in my opinion is oftentimes much more difficult than the competitor he's surfing against. Do you feel like Felipe should have won that heat? I don't know about that. I've watched it a couple of times. There's no doubt that if you just compared rail surfing to rail surfing, Ethan's surfing looked um, smoother, uh, like I say, sparkier, faster, more complete, um, better style, I guess I could say. Um, Better style, I'd say as well, but it's negligible. Like Felipe's rail game at this point, yeah, especially it is. sub six foot surf is really, yes. really, really hard to beat. And, and Ethan's totally. one guy who might be, or John, John would be two, uh, that are on par, if not maybe a little bit better than Philippe. Um, but yeah, that somebody DM'd me, I, this is kind of tangential to what you're saying about Felipe's air game, but I think it's still relevant. He was saying the reason why airs aren't super highly scored or why rail surfing is still equally as valued or maybe a little bit more valued than the air game on the CT is that a lot of guys are doing airs into the flats or onto end sections of the wave. And so until they can really truly incorporate it into a functional maneuver on the wave, they're not really going to unlock those giant scores. And we have seen that done at times. You see it uh, Felipe is a great example at J Bay when the two alley oops where you got the 10, that was a functional maneuver on a wave that normally we would not expect an air to be done on. But when they are just kind of banging the comboing up the wave and then finishing with an air off the end section in the, into the flats, that's where it's kind of a little bit more of, um, I don't know, like it's, it's, it's a little overdone and we've seen it all before and there isn't a super difficult version of that to really wow the judges, I guess. Um, or they just want to see more essentially, but let let me ask you this. Um, you mentioned J Bay, like, let's say that there's a perfect five to seven foot wave at J Bay and it's reeling down the line. And there's a section there that could either be an aerial could be done or just a gorgeous John, John Florence, full rail gaff down to the flats could be done. Mm -hmm. 
I would argue that the rail, the big rail John John Florence turn is as functional or more functional than a big air in that section. Now, that being said, let me just throw this caveat. If the air is to is to uh, make a section, in other words, without the air, you could not have made the section. Now, where there's no doubt that that was the only functional maneuver that's available. Yeah. So I, I, I think too, on some level that it's just not as um, functional to yeah. do like a little, a little air thing or a big air thing, even though it's big, it's really just more f- a functional maneuver of making the wave to just keep your rail engaged in the wave phase. Yeah, there's, that is a great point. Um, I almost want to make the argument that the premise that you just laid out was flawed. There isn't a section that is equally good for the big carve and the air. Any given section will have one specific maneuver that is better for it than another. But if let's say it had that same section five times down the line, the argument would be made that variety is what wins in that heat. So yes, huge carve, then an air, then a variation on the car, you know, that would then be the higher scoring wave. But third point is really the energy is in the ocean. So once you depart the ocean, you're losing contact with the energy source, which would lead uh, give credence to your argument, which is just no. The always the function is to always be harnessing the energy, transferring the energy from the ocean through the surfboard, you know, uh, or if, I guess through your body and into the surfboard. And so, leaving the wave is only ever child's play. That's only ever a deviation. Well, the problem is, is that we're nitpicking, right? There's no right answer. I mean, half of the surf world would argue against me and perhaps half would argue for me and vice versa, you know? So what it really, what, what kind of comes down to for me is why are we having this argument? Because the waves are two feet, you know? And even if, you know, like, I know we're talking about J Bay at five to seven. So, uh, you know, my feeling is, is that if a guy's doing an aerial seven times, five, let's say three times down the line at J Bay, you're right. It kind of speaks to what you're saying. Look, one of those is a good idea, but you got to mix it in because the energy is where uh, is in the water, right? As soon yeah. as you get into the air, you're slowing down. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that maybe you're not slowing down when you do a big rail gaff too. You you might be, but um, you know, and of course, I wouldn't know. I've never really done an air, but <laughs> well, it. So you're entirely right that we're only having this conversation because the waves are two feet, and that is where. Uh, the judging becomes really, really problematic as well. I mean, there were countless heats and even more exchanges within those heats that were really, really questionable. And a lot of them came through on the DMs. A lot of them affected people's chance of making the cut versus not, um, you know, uh, making the final versus not. And it is because, yeah, it's really difficult to distinguish the difference between a yeah, six. I don't even and a really six, blame seven. the judges. I agree no. with you. I, you can't even really blame the judges at that point. It's like everyone's right, you know. Like yeah. you could argue it in court of law, and and you'd have you know a mistrial. Yeah, because it's subjective. But yeah. it's a lot less subjective when the waves are pumping, and it's right. you know what I mean. It like it really distinguishes the wheat from the chaff. So. <laughs> 
I, I think the WSL, I think you're right. You can't blame them right here, but the WSL has a huge problem on its hands if they're not willing to redirect course. And there is, there seems to be zero acknowledgement of the problem. And so then zero interest in redirecting course. And this is, I mean, I don't know what to do at this point. Like we're throwing up our hands going, are you guys just completely clueless that you need good waves? It was really interesting, actually, Joe Turpel, um, who never turns off the kind of positivity, turned to ra uh, rabbit bugs and he was like, you know, you they're just trying to fill time essentially. So he's like, what, what uh, are among your career highlights? And bugs goes, well, you know, activating the dream tour and running the best surfers in the best waves in the world. And Joe's yeah. like, Oh yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> Moving on <laughs> and just like redirects, you know, like, I don't even know if he intentionally redirected because right behind them, there was just wind slop, two feet, sir, two foot surf, or if he just completely missed it, what bugs was saying, but it's like, yeah, that's exactly what you guys should be doing. You know? Yeah. So, well, in regards to the Felipe Ethan semifinal, I think it could be, um, I think it could have gone either way. Mm. And I was thinking about it, like one strategy for Felipe's camp perhaps is because what Felipe's doing is going to be on, you know, it's almost hard for him to catch the attention of the judges at this point. One strategy for his camp might be to watch the aerials in the other heats to see if any of those other heats are not only if guys are doing errors, but if they're getting judged higher for the air game. Um, and, and really I think he needs to just wait and hold on to those errors for which you could argue he did. You know, yeah. I, I didn't see his earlier heats. He's in the semis against Ethan Ewing. That's when you're going to break out your errors. Yeah. And, uh, and it's two to two feet and it well, didn't work for him. So it's kind of like, maybe it's, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Everyone's already knows what, how incredible his game is. And we're, and we're, uh, what's the word, David? We're, 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 it doesn't inspire us anymore. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that they're even trying to re-engineer the equation is kind of absurd, you know, like, because to be that much better that nobody understands your art. So now you're going to dumb down your art so that they understand it is absurd. It yeah. shows a limitation in the judging, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah. But if he did look at other heats, what he would have seen is Ryan Callanan uh, going off access. You know, like Ryan Callanan did an air that was, I don't know if you remember that cover shot he got of Surfing Magazine years and years ago. It was like kind of his big breakout cover shot. It was a sequence in Indo. But, you know, it's just an off-access rotation. And so it looks almost like a cartwheel more than just a tr traditional spin. He did one of those, totally unexpected and uh, totally radical and shocking that he was able to kind of get that momentum to even get it above the lip and then shot more shocking that he was able to pull it off and land it. Stuff like that he could look at. And Felipe can do that as well. We've actually seen him do it. But it's a little bit easier to do backside, which Ryan was able to do because he's goofy foot. Um, but I mean, the big end section slams that people are doing are <clears throat> one of the things that were scoring huge points. I think Jackson Baker got a nine by doing one of those. John John got a big score doing one of those. So Felipe could maybe redirect and not go to the air and just do a huge slam on the end section. But let me ask you this. This is something you and I've discussed in the past. I'll just bring it up real quick. 
And it's sort of, uh, well, it definitely is uh, blasphemy if you're an Australian or you're an Australian surfer. Um, but should Bells just not be on tour? I know it's got all the history. It's got all the, 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 you know, the, the, the trappist, the tapestry of, of legacy, you know, sort of hanging on it, but is Bell's a good enough wave to be on tour? If, if the question is, we're redesigning a dream tour and we're putting the best waves on. on Yeah. Like take away all the history, all of the history, then get rid of it. It still exists by the way. Even if, if, if it did leave the tour, all that history is still there. Michael Peterson's not going to leave us, you know? Uh, Simon Anderson at 20 foot belt, you know, 15 foot bells on a three fin. That's not going to leave us. We're going to uh, Aka not even in us in the WSL or ASP at the time, j- surfing in those super skins events. I don't think those were ASP events, were they? No, no, that, that legacy is not, it's still going to be there. So I interrupted you, but go ahead. Like where? Yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't. No. If you're, if you're going to design the best waves on the planet to elevate surfing, you know, in yeah. the way that other sports try to shave seconds off of mile times or swimming laps or whatever it is, yeah. kind of prime the best athletes, put them in the best conditions, try to advance the sport of surfing, you would absolutely not run bells. The argument you could make for running at bells would be, okay, well, <clears throat> you know, maintaining power through flat sections of the wave and then harnessing that power into the big end section is a skill set. Okay, Bells is great for that, you know, but it's still not doing what I originally said, which is we want to see full speed driving through barreling sections and then full open face carves, cloud break, Kandui, G land, pipeline, stuff like that. That, um, a fraction of 1% of the planet have the skill set, the amount of hours in the ocean, the body kind of fitness and awareness to pull off. There's just five people on the planet who can actually surf those waves on a full throttle swell to their kind of, to the fullest expression that we know surfing to exist and kind of push the boundaries of it. That's what we want to see. That's what professional surfing should be. That's what the World Surf League should be promoting, advocating, curating, nurturing, all of it, you know? And um, let me ask you this. Yeah. Is Holly Eva a better wave than Bells? Yes. Is Lonnie Akea a better wave than Bells? I know they can't do it there, but. Well, no, you know what? I want to say yes, just for the sake of the argument, but Bells on its day might be better than Lonnie Akea. No way. But anyway. Okay. I don't think so. No, not, okay. I mean, bells on its day versus Lonnie K on its day. Yeah, that's true. North, I've, North not, Lonnie I've anyway, not caught Lonnie K on its day, but yeah, that's maybe we're getting a little silly here. It's better to find a, a really great wave in Australia on its day. And it has Which, to be a wave that breaks. I mean, the thing about bells is it's actually pretty consistent when they're, you know I mean? It's open to a big ocean, you know, Southern ocean swells. So, it's going to get waves. Some of these spots, like I think of Mundaka and you're like, yeah, it's great, but there's some season it doesn't even break or there's no sand there, you know? Yeah. So you got to throw those types of waves out with the bathwater. But yeah. is there a wave in Australia that, oh, yeah. that's of a course. better wave for North. competition yeah. than Bell's North. besides North the point. one that the Margaret river event? Yeah. There, yeah, there's plenty actually. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, I don't know. 
if you saw who was it? it might have been surfing world somebody posted on instagram kurt flintoff getting an insane left barrel apparently right around the corner from bells uh within driving distance you know and uh like double overhead proper uh big left barrel so the point is there's a lot of waves around there that are better um but probably come with their own forecasting issues this gives kind of um argument to the fact that the contest really should be more mobile than it is and we've outlined in the past ways that the contest could be mobile there's really no reason for the judging to be on site there's no reason for the commentators to be on site we can do all of that stuff remotely now there is a need for cameras to be on site. So if you could figure out a way to um, mobilize those, then yeah, you could just run around the corner. <laughs> Obviously there's permitting issues, but I feel like even that, those permits are really old and that system is archaic. Like there could be a way to negotiate with local governments to figure out a new modern solution that would just allow them to run better events, which is better for the local economy, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it, it's an interesting thing to consider um, just wiping the slate clean, picking eight spots and and having uh, the dream tour sort of reignited. And um, and and you mentioned, how, you know, you mentioned the spots already. It's not that what? hard. Cloudbreak, J-Bay, G-Land, Kandui. Um, <clears throat> there's probably some other, you know, you could even say um, in Bali. There's probably a wave or two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, kind of... Sunset Pipe, Haliba. As, as it relates to this event, we need, need to kind of do our full bullet points. Uh, the finals consisted of Hold all Australians. Okay, Hold on go for this. Yep. All right, Scott. Quick moment for our beloved athleticgreens.com slash surf. Support us support your whole body vitality i've been meaning to ask you how hard 75 is going hard 75 has been awesome i weighed in a couple of days ago at 177 <coughs> i think i was 196 when i started hard 75 i know down 19 and yeah, which is where I should be. I should be at 175, 180. I was at 177 the other day. And um, it's now become part of my life, as is AG1. You know, um, these it's, it's no secret that um, AG1 is a part of my Heart 75. It's a daily, uh, part of my daily uh, regime, if you will, part of my daily life. Um, all the nutrients, all of the vitamins, all organically sourced through vegetables, organic vegetables, a athletic greens um, daily is part of uh, keeping me going and, and keeping me healthy. That's the thing. Part It's the fuel. You know, it's the fuel when you wake up in the morning just to put that in and not only give you the physical energy, but also the neurosynaptic kind of firing and energy to keep you fully alert and functioning and motivated and all of that. Um, is there any, in regard to Regarding diet, have you eliminated anything else from your diet to lose that almost 20 pounds? Yeah, I don't do dairy and I don't do um, sugar and, and I don't do bread. Those are the three things that are out of my diet. So I do a lot of greens, a lot of vegetables, a lot of protein, a lot of chicken, a lot of salmon. Okay. Um, 
like that. And I'll eat rice and potatoes and stuff as just a little tiny side portion. Okay. Um, but, but yeah. But sugar was a big cutout for you, right? Added sugar. I still yeah, yeah. eat sugars that are in fruit, you know, fructose, like natural sugars are fine with me, but gotcha. no, no added um, sugar. How's your red meat intake? I haven't done too much red meat. I could and I can and I will, but I have, I've been, I don't know. I've been eating a lot of greens, a lot of greens. Um, and for whatever reason, red meat doesn't, I'm not drawn to it. Yeah. I'm drawn okay. towards salmon. I've been eating a ton of salmon. Yeah. It's interesting when you really are paying attention, uh, and making those adjustments in your body, how much you feel all of those things, you know, whereas if you're just blindly going through life, you almost like become resistant to a lot of the negative effects I feel. Um, yeah. And they, they wear on you. You're just not cognizant of it, but red meat is so calorically dense. Like you feel weighted down by it, you know, or I'll feel lethargic the next day. I'll wake up and just be more sluggish the next day. And, uh, you can really tie together. Like I'm feeling this way today because of what I put in my system yesterday. And salmon on the other hand, um, calorically less dense, but energizing, you know? Yeah. So that's a good choice. Good. All right. Well, keep it up, man. And, uh, for listeners who want to join the health train, Go to athleticgreens.com slash surf, research it on your own. Um, we're fans and so many kind of highly influential people in the kind of uh, health space also have been using it and promoting it for years now. Go to, you could see uh, testimonials from, you know, Ironman, uh, Tim Ferriss, the podcaster, uh, Andrew, Dr. Andrew Huberman as well, like all sorts of people on their website, read up on that stuff and, uh, check out what's in the product itself, vet it on your own, but go through our portal. When you do that, athleticgreens.com slash surf. And then when you sign up, that supports our work here on the show. So thank you for that. And, uh, enjoy. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
Okay, sorry, I'm back. So it was all Australians in the final. It was uh, Ethan Ewing over Ryan Callanan, interestingly. Ryan on kind of the comeback journey after injury. And then on the women's side, Tyler Wright winning her second Bells Trophy over Molly Picklum, who is, by the way, a pipe master and uh, was sitting in first. I don't know if she's still sitting in first after this event. She might be, but Molly Picklum on a huge campaign. Yeah, Molly's first. Molly's first. Molly's first. Okay. Incredible stuff from Molly. So um, the... uh, we, the cut, there's huge implications for the cut. I was going to look up the rankings real quick. Joao Chianca made it into first place after this event on the men's side. He's up a spot. Jack Robinson's down a spot into second. Felipe's still in third. Ethan Ewing's up into fourth. And Griffin Colapinto's in fifth. I feel like we haven't commented enough on how incredible Ethan Ewing's surfing is, by the way. From yeah. pre-event kind of posting his warm-up surfs all the way through every heat of this event, I am so amazed by his surfing and the year that he was on tour um, when he actually didn't make, when he fell off tour, when he got, uh, didn't requalify his rookie year, his surfing was incredible. And we all kind of commented like, man, this kid's fundamentals are unbelievable. How is he not making heats? I feel like even Kelly Slater commented it, uh, on it that year to see him kind of re, um, to get back on tour and to really find his form and figure out how to win heats, I think is uh, appropriate because his surfing is just second to none. And that's hard to say because going into this event, knowing what the forecast looked like, I was betting on Griffin Colapinto. I was betting on Felipe Toledo and to see Ethan translate what he did last year at overhead J Bay into knee high winky pop, I think was pretty amazing. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, he's our one of our favorites, and um, and it, it's he's exciting to watch. I mean, mostly because he's got that style that that we love so much, where he's just um, minimalist mm. in the way he um, he sets up his arms, and there's not a lot of check turns at the bottom. There's not a lot of, for lack of a better way to say it, getting ready to do a turn. Yeah. It all just flows. Uh, throughout and it's pretty awesome and you and i've been big fans of ethan ewing for a long time and everybody is you know like he's he's got it all he's got the full package i love putting it that way not a lot of getting ready to do a turn that's exactly sums it up we don't want to see the getting ready um on the women's side first place molly picklum still in first tyler wright in second chris amore in third caitlin simmers in fourth breakout year for caitlin um, Tatiana Weston Webb in fifth. Yeah. So I mean, the surprise there to me is Molly Picklum. Like I still couldn't pick her out of a lineup. If you put, you know, 10 girls in a lineup shot, I'd be like, I'm not sure which one is Molly Picklum. Well, interestingly, if you even look at her surfing, there's nothing in her surfing that stands out as being distinctly better than anyone else. It's just, she's a very, very complete surfer, you know, like she's got everything, but in the way that, um, you know, you could point at Steph's style or Carissa's power or, uh, I don't know, on the men's side, there are certain aerialists that come along. She's just more almost like a Kanoa Igarashi where she's kind of got the full package and 
she delivers. She's like a competitive yeah. beast, you know? So, yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, she's incredible. So I think she's a great addition to the tour for all those reasons. going to keep everybody on their A game and have to elevate well, and find a point of difference. Uh, going back to the men, if, if we may, I'd like to bring you to the cut line. Cause yes, if I list David, the surfers below the cut line, if I lift, list them off right now, and I'm going to ask you, of these surfers who are below the cut line, do you think any of these surfers, hypothetically, of course, if they were hypothetically in the top five, do you think any of them have a chance of winning at lowers on finals day? Great question. And I'll go Miguel, Miguel Pupu, Kelly Slater, Baron Mamiya, Michael Rodriguez, Maxine Husano, Jake Marshall, Chloe Andino, Carlos Munoz, Ezekiel Lau, Jadson Andre, and Ramsey Bukheim. Any of these surfers, if they were hypothetically in the top five, do they have a chance of winning at lowers on the finals? The funny thing is the one who I think does should never be a world champ based on his entire package of surfing. And that's Michael Rodriguez. It's funny because I think Baron Mamiya is the guy that I, that comes to mind for me. He's got the full package. In other words, he could actually get to finals day by, you know, having an insane event at Chopu and having an insane event at Pipe and Sunset and, you know, scrambling through the Aussie leg and some of the other, uh, J-Bay and making it into the top five. Uh, you know, I guess that's part of the equation that I should have put into the question. Assuming yeah. these guys could get to the top five if they had a great year. Yeah. Well, and I'm not saying Michael Rodriguez couldn't be there too, but Baron no, Mamiya is the one. He couldn't, but my point is he surfs lowers better than anybody else that you named. And so that right. shows the fallibility of the freaking concept in the first place. Exactly. The fact that Michael Rodriguez could win a world title. And again, he doesn't have any of the tools otherwise to make, to win the world title, you know? Um, but your, but no, your point, a, yeah, go ahead. Your point is correct though, in that, uh, Baron has the other tools to win the world title. He just couldn't win it at at lowers, interestingly. And he's an incredible small wave surfer. He's an incredible surfer at lowers, but he wouldn't win it over Felipe Toledo or John John Florence or whoever, uh, Gabriel Medina, whoever else is in that top five, you know, like at lowers specifically, he's yeah. slightly beneath them, but he'd be yeah. above them at pipe and sunset, let's say. Yeah. Well, we've spoke at length about how we do believe that lowers as a finals day location does a disservice. But if we look above the cut line right now, and there's only one event left before the cut, and that takes place at Margaret River in about 10 to eight days. Um, above the cut line, there's guys that would have no chance of winning a world title at lowers against the likes of Felipe and Ethan and Gabe and John, John and so forth. And, you know, like for instance, Jackson Baker, no way. Mm. Nat Young, no way. Jordy Smith, no way. Caleb Robson, no way. Connor O'Leary, no way. Leonardo Fiervante, no way. And I mentioned those guys because those are the bigger guys on tour. Like if they, you know, sort of like Connor Coffin a couple of years ago, if they somehow made it to the top five, they'd be at such a disadvantage to these lightweight high flying red hot surfers just because yeah. of their these gentlemen's sheer size they're just they're just big blokes and they're just not known for the the big air game i think jordy has a chance um less now than he used to in the past but he's one lowers and he's also um he's got an incredible air game despite his heft 
And so yeah. lowers, it, you know, lowers would have to be pumping essentially. And if it was, he actually has a gear that those people don't just because of that heft. Uh, yeah. When I say those people, I mean the other people that would be in the top five. Um, Jordy's power game in powerful surf is second to none. Yeah. But well, here's what's, so yeah. let me, let me outline the cut a little bit, illuminate the cut numbers a little bit more. Michael Ciamarello ran a bunch of math for us on stab. Uh-huh. And he Perfect. says, um, Chloe, Carlos Munoz and Jake Marshall all need a third at Margaret river to requalify. So the math is, is not locked in yet because, um, you get to throw away your lowest result and, Obviously, things are still people will be accruing points at the final event that will lock in kind of what a final number is. But um, this is kind of a safe, uh, safe estimation. So among those, I'm not surprised that Jake or Carlos might not make the cut. But Chloe and Dino needing a third at Margaret is essentially a death sentence to him. And I heard Chloe interviewed, I think, in this event at Bell's. And he said, look, I'm cool with it. I either get to hang with Griffin Colapinto on the CT or I get to hang with Crosby Colapinto at the Challenger Series. Either way, I want to be surfing events through the back half of the season and I'll be fine, uh, which I thought was a lighthearted approach to it. But he should never, his quality of surfing and his pedigree and all that sort of stuff, he should not be in this position. Uh, so that's kind of a bummer. In a weird way, this could be the best thing ever for Colapinto. Could be. Right? Great call. Like this could be the moment where he's like, holy shit, he's going to go back on the Challenger Series. I anticipate him dominating or at least getting and qualifying, being one of the top 10 on the Challenger Series and, and getting back on tour. And we know there's been guys, um, Andy Irons comes to light, who were kicked off tour and were just too good not to be on tour and then fed off of the fact that they had to go and, and re-engage with the proletariat, so to speak. Yeah, Ethan Ewing. Um, exactly. Kelly Slater, Baron Mamiya, and Michael Rodriguez only to fifth at Bells. Kelly is obviously the one who everybody is looking at here. Do you anticipate Kelly getting a fifth at Margaret's? I'm sorry, not at Bells. Uh, do you anticipate him getting a fifth? I mean, sadly, I hope he does. But sadly, based on his performances, I kind of don't. Yeah. I think, I don't think he does. I think either. he's got a bunch of 17ths and maybe a ninth. Well, at, at Margaret's? No, just this year. Yeah, but at Margaret's, he needs a fifth. So his track record at Margaret's, I would actually say, is reflective of the numbers you just gave. Um, There was one year, five years ago, six years ago, where it was absolutely pumping, and he got a crazy barrel at and got a 10, you know? So, like, again, when the waves are good, Kelly surfs better than anybody else on the planet. And he's unfortunately been a victim of the tour scheduling. And... um, the other thing is because his back has been against the wall these last few events, we kept saying that's when he's going to step up and perform. And he tried. He tried in Portugal. Didn't happen. Tried at Bells. Couldn't pull it together. And so it's just a matter of when the waves are small and crappy, there's too many sprightly, lightweight, young guys who uh, just do that type of surfing better than he does now. So I think he's really going to have a challenge because even if the waves are pumping at Margaret's, there's still a bunch of surfers that surf unbelievably well in big pumping Margaret's, you know, there's more than five of them. So he's going to have to kind of vie really hard for that position. Now here's what's interesting, Scott. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this math became uh, aware to me just in the last week or two. A listener DM'd me 
and he's like, uh, you know, what? Oh, it, Jesse Miley Dyer said something and he goes, Jesse doesn't even know the rule book. So I had to kind of dig into the rule book to figure out what he was talking about. But while I dug into the rule book, I found a caveat that is very, very suspect. It says, uh, for surfers who are on tour at the first half of the season and get eliminated by the cut, if they get a wild card into the back half of the season, they do not accrue any points towards their ranking. Except unless they've been a former world champ or a former top five surfer, then they accrue points towards their ranking. Wow. So Kelly Slater, Stephanie Gilmore, former world champs who are on the cut, uh, if they get cut, all that the WSL has to do to get them onto tour next year is give them a wild card into the back half of the season and points that they get in those events will go towards their point total and allow them to re-qualify. Now, here's the additional interesting point about that is all the surfers on the back half of the season already qualify for 2024. So even if Kelly gets last place in every event of the season moving forward, do you know gets a wild card entry, gets last place, he's on tour for 2024. All they have to do is wow. give him a wild card. He can get last in every event. He's on tour again in 2024. Do it. <laughs> but well, isn't Outer known the Chopu sponsor? So we know he's in that one. Is it? No, they I, are they. I, I Outer known does one of the events, don't they? I don't know. They, you, I they uh, yeah, Chopu. maybe they do. I've lost track. They did. They signed yeah. up for Cloudbreak for three years, and then it got shuttered after the first year. And you're right. I feel like maybe they signed up for Chopu last year. Yeah. But but how absurd. I mean, it, it, the thing is to create the cut to, by their own words, create drama and all this kind of stuff. And then to take the teeth out of the cut by just being like, oh, no, we've got all these caveats built in so that we could make sure that we have our marquee surfers on tour no matter what is insanity. And also that rule, I feel like was added just in the last couple of months, ever since Kelly was on threat of not making the cut. <laughs> like they just added an addendum to the rule book and nobody will notice. You know what I mean? It's absurd. Yeah. It's totally absurd. Wow. That's yeah. kind of cool. <laughs> For you, a Kelly Slater fan. Yeah. Bring it. Uh... Good. Well, so it's, it's really no threat to Kelly. You know what I mean? Like it's really up to him. Like if he gets cut, and he's like, I got bested by these people. Therefore, I'm going to take the time off or go back and regroup for the second half of the season. That's up to him. But well, they will offer him a wild card, no doubt. And it's I well, mean, here's I, what's I interesting, right? I yeah. pl- hear me out on this idea or this okay. um, possibility. Kelly doesn't make the cut. Let's assume he doesn't make the cut. He then announces his retirement. And because of that, they want to give him a swan song. And they're like, okay, if this is your retirement year, we're going to give you a wild card. All the stuff you mentioned, kind of they forgot about, or they just, they're just doing it because out of the goodness of their heart, they want Kelly to have four more events on tour before he retires. So he does what you say, and then he requalifies, and he's like, actually, <laughs> I renege on that. Yeah. I'd like to do the tour one more time. Yeah. Could you see that happening? 100%. I see I already see it happening and whether or not his intention was sincere to retire is almost irrelevant, but 
he's got carte blanche access to the tour for as long as he wanted based on this caveat that they built specifically for quote former world title hoarders or former top five finishers. And so, with the Olympic qualification looming, yeah, there's also that in the background, like, Hey, you know, like, so anyway, now, I'm, but, as you know, and everyone knows I'm pro Kelly. I want him to do it. I want him to take advantage of the rule book. Yeah. I mean, I, I just want to see the best surfing in the world. You know what I mean? Like the reality <laughs> is the reality is like Kelly Slater is not going to perform well at surf ranch or he's not going to get in the top five, 10 at surf ranch. That's even though oh, he owns he's the for sure getting a wild card there. I know, but he's not going to perform there. I mean, even that's though he owns, his, that's where outer known as the sponsor is at the surf ranch. There. Okay. That's it. Even though he owns the venue, that's not his, that's not his, uh, forte. You know what I mean? So I could see him doing well at um, Chopu, you know, that and I could see him doing well at J-Bay if J-Bay is pumping, but I don't see him elevating the tour essentially like we, we once did. And so that's who we really want to see on that back half or on, you know, on the tour as a whole. Um, interestingly, I, Ethan Davis has been writing the contest coverage on Stab Magazine and a couple of other articles along the way too, but I really have come to enjoy his contest coverage. And at the bottom, he puts miscellaneous. So stuff that didn't fit necessarily in, you know, the top performances or whatever that he covered previously. But he said in the miscellaneous section, the countless cuts to the WSL stick planting ceremony, cuts, by the way, meaning camera cuts, the countless number of times that the camera cut over to the WSL's stick planting ceremony had me thinking, look out, climate change. But the fuel bill, for the Red Bull jet skis from the past three days assured me that we're still screwed. <laughs> Basically saying, hey, you guys are pointing at all this virtue signaling that you're planting trees, but you're taking a toll with running jet skis in the lineup and using fossil fuels that way. You know what I mean? So it's all going to equal out. Then he says, Hi, quote, Hydrolite, the official oral hydration partner of the WSL. I like how the root of administration is explicitly stated, just in case you thought the yummy electrolytes might be better delivered rectally. <laughs> Hydrolite, the oral hydration sponsor. So Ethan's got some humor. Yeah. Uh, what else you got, Scott? Um, that's actually all I got. Uh, when, did, you know. when, does, when does the Margaret River uh, start? Margaret oh, River that's right. No, actually, that's what I do have. So the Margaret event starts on the 20th. It goes through the 30th of April and the forecast looks super good. Like, mm. like, you know, good winds, you know, and four to six feet and five to seven feet and six to eight feet and plenty of mornings before the afternoon onshores where they can run tons of heats. And, you know, there's an eight to 10 foot day, frankly, the day before the event, the 19th, looks all time like they're literally saying skip work drop school do whatever you got to do this is going to be a classic day here on the west coast of australia april 19th but like i said between the 20th and the 30th there's at least five days of what appears to be from a forecast standpoint and i know it's quite a bit a ways yeah. out but it looks good for the forecast for margaret river and i hope i'm not jinxing it but um look these things uh, they seem to be, it seems to be in the cards that they're going to have a good event for, and plenty of days for competition. Do you think uh, there's a possibility that 
Mother Nature is listening to our podcast right now and hearing you give the forecast and is like, now that Scott Bass said it, I'm doing the opposite. I will not just, let him. I'm jinxed. not forecasting anything. All I'm doing is reading the forecast from Surfline. I'm just messing with you. Um, did you make it through your Losers League uh, no. sur- survival? No. No. I've lost. I think I've lost the first event each of the f- – Every time I've ever played this game, I've lost the first event. Oh, so I man. picked Kyle Abelli to get through this event at Bells. That's right. Who was surfing great throughout the season. And of course, he had his worst event last week at Bells. Did not get through the round of 32. And I'm a loser. I'm a two-time loser this man, year on the oh, Survival man. League. Maybe they'll do like a three-time loser league. <laughs> you could be in it. <laughs> what about you? Like eight people. I had John John. I made it through with a breeze, dude. Nice. So you want to know who my pick is for Margs? I'm imagining it's Jack Robinson. It is Jack Robinson. Good job. Yeah. So, um, was, yeah, no brainer for sure. And he's again, sitting, I think number two in the world right now. So hopefully he lives up to that. Uh, you and I forgot to mention, I'm glad we remember now, um, heritage heat. You bet oh. on Tom. I bet on Aki. I won $20. But here's oh. the deal. I can't yeah. take your money. Why not? The judges got it wrong. Oh, I ne- see, I tried to rewatch the Heritage Heat, and it was nowhere to be found, at least easily, I'm, on the WSL website. I know. And here, I hate to ladle on more kind of criticism, but I was getting DMs for the days leading up to the Heritage Heat going, hey, when's the Heritage Heat happening? Where can I watch it? When can I watch it? And I go, great question. I have no idea. They don't put it on the schedule. They always just slide it in when there's like availability on a given day with the swell and what, and in between rounds and that sort of thing. So they never advertise when it's going to be, which is uh, frustrating, you know? And then other people are like, I went to the website to try to find information about not only scheduling, but who these two surfers are, you know? I, no information on Heritage Heat at all exists on the WSL's website. Then after the fact, no way to watch it on the WSL's website. They did, however, publish it on YouTube. So you can go to the WSL's YouTube page and you can find it, a condensed version oh. of the Heat. Uh, oh. So that's what I would encourage you to do. But it's also on their Instagram account. But honestly, Tom got underscored. Aki did one big backside hack that they, I think, gave an eight to. That was overscored. And then Tom got a super well-surfed, medium-sized wave that he just Tom Curran the heck out of. Like flow, bang, bang, bang. No huge maneuvers, but then banged off the end section and found a left on the inside after hitting the right, you know, and like then jived through the inside, tons of flow, and they gave him like a 5.67. And I was thinking, man, the amount of flow that he incorporated into that wave would have uh, been better than a lot of the CT surfers currently on this given day. Tom got underscored on that. Honestly, you look at the two waves versus one another. I think Tom should have won the heat. They juiced Aki's score. So I can't take your money. Uh, We'll call it even. And I think we're all winners just because we got to watch the heat. And it really was. They both surfed great. They were both. It was a very highly contested heat. And uh, to see the rivalry revitalized after all these years is also super exciting. How big was Aki? Did he look in form or, I mean, granted he's 58 or whatever. Shredded. Um, He looked, he, he looked big, but muscle, like not, not big, big, but like bulky, muscular. Yeah. Cool. He looked great. That's good to hear. He looked ready to go. 
And the thing is, so did Tom. Like, Tom, I mean, we've seen Tom surfing recently, so we know he's kind of still surfing incredibly, but his, uh, if I had to define their surfing, Aki looked slower. Aki looked a little bit more lethargic, but more powerful. So, like, once he kind of got, it took him a minute to get to his feet, took him a minute to like settle into that bottom turn. And then once he did, it was pure power, boom, into the top. Whereas Curran was a lot more live, you know, on the wave, which yeah. he's always kind of been, but Aki used to be a lot more sparky. Aki's lost a little bit of the spark and maybe Tom's lost a little bit of the power he once had, you know? Yeah. But well, still surfing some guys on my, I have a fantasy surf league thread with a bunch of guys. There's probably like 20 guys that were in, in this league with, and they were suggesting Tom Carroll as a heritage heat contestant, which I think is a great call because Tom's in great shape. Um, so Carroll versus Aki Carroll versus Curran. I think those three are still in the mix to, to provide some excitement and to, you know, create some legacy. Yeah, totally agree. Carol's amazing. Gerlach is still in it. There's a lot of guys still in yep. it. Yep. Brad, Brad's probably in really great shape. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's some guys that are out there, right? That, that mm -hmm. would be good. I really yeah, can't think of too many that like, I maybe doom, maybe Damian Hardman. Bart, I, I don't mean, know. Bart, Barton Lynch is still surfing really well, but maybe not at that level. Pots yeah. maybe. I think we learned when Potts and Gurr went at it that Potts's heart wasn't really in it. Yeah, that's true. But, um, well, these these are fun to see regardless. Um, everybody's stoked on them. I mean, it was kind of a highlight, to be perfectly honest. It was a highlight of that day, for sure. Um, and uh, You know, there's guys, that. too, that are like – there's guys that were on tour back in the 90s and even into the early 2000s that are just frothing that would want to do it. Like I think of guys like Richie Collins, <laughs> Richie <laughs> Collins is probably sending Jesse Miley Dyer emails, you know, just going, Hey, heritage heat. I've actually got emails from guys that are like, why aren't I in the heritage? Heat? <laughs> do you think Richie oh. can uh, type can like puncture the keys on the keyboard with webbed gloves on? I don't know. The fingertips be cool. fit. If you did do it, he it'd be cool if he wore the web gloves and wore the whole outfit with the Oakley blades and stuff. That guy's competitive. I mean, I'm sure that he would get in fight and shape for a Heritage Heat event. Is that something that would excite you, Richie Collins in a Heritage Heat event? For all the reasons. Yeah, because his personality. I, w I just want to see the personality come out, you know? Yeah. But yeah, not necessarily that his surfing ever blew my mind or inspired me or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But I do like personality. and. Surfing yeah. could use it. So, yeah. Cool, man. Well, look, um, I just got back from my uh, wedding anniversary with my beautiful wife, Katrina. We had a great time, although I did get a little sick just the last few days. But um, otherwise, a great week of um, Easter. It was wonderful. Give us advice. How many, how many years is the anniversary oh. and how do you, how do we pull it off? Yeah, 25 years, and here's my advice. I believe, and this is just me, I'm not, I'm not selling it, I'm just telling it, that a good marriage requires not two, but three. And the third is uh, some sort of higher power, some sort of 
God figure, whatever it is between you and your signet, your partner, that's between you guys. But I do believe that um, having being in line with the same spiritual foundation is crucial. Secret to marriage, secret to a long lasting marriage. I believe so. Mm. It's a good tidbit. I thought you were going to give me the old flowers line again. <laughs> no, <laughs> I will say this. 75 75 right like you both can't give 50 percent. you both have to right. give more than 50 percent to, to equal 100 percent. if you each give 75 percent, you get 150 percent. Mm. how about you both give 100 then if you're going not well yeah going with that equation just give it 100 percent all day every day <laughs> i just figured we were trying to get to the 100 yeah yeah you know you blew that out with the 75 thing okay cool dude well uh good advice and congratulations Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, look, David, until next week, when we will be teeing up uh, the Bells or the uh, Margaret River event and forecast will be much more tuned in. Uh, adios and aloha. Ring them bells, St. Peter, where the four winds blow. Ring them bells with an iron hand so the people will. Rush hour now on the wheel and the plow, and the sun is going down upon that sacred cow.
And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.